he was pre-diabetic and he was pre-diabetic and he was pre-diabetic. You are. You know, most Americans in the United States are pre-diabetic over the age of 40. That's just the numbers. What's up, my brothers and sisters? Welcome to the Fireground Fitness Podcast, where we talk about all things pertaining to life on and off the fireground. The views and opinions expressed are mine, your host, Rain Gray, and those of my guest, who today is Kepra Jack, and she is the co-owner of HeartFit for Duty, a medical clinic that is uh, targeted toward public safety professionals, and the conversation we had today was about how to get healthier, fitter, to increase our longevity in our career, into our retirement, and to live the best life that we can live. Great conversation. I hope you enjoy it. Kepra Jack, welcome to the Fireground Fitness Podcast. I would love for you to, to introduce yourself and uh, tell us a little bit about who you are. And then, you know, we're sitting here in the offices of Heart Fit for Duty, which I think the name says a lot about what it is, but I would love for you to tell me kind of the origin story and what you're doing, because I know it's a very, it's a personal thing for you, yes. very much so. And I would love for you to share that with everybody. Sure. Well, thanks for having me. Absolutely. It's so nice to see you. Likewise. And I appreciate the opportunity. So um, I'm obviously the co-founder and I guess CEO, COO of uh, Heart Fit for Duty. And we are a medical practice that deals on the primary care side with pretty much fire, police, EMS, military. So we have kind of an, a subset of the general population that we focus everything on. Mm. And then we also do NFPA physicals. And so we do full NFPA 1582 physicals for fire departments. And then we also do SWAT physicals. So we do SWAT physicals, dive team physicals, bomb squad physicals. Okay. I'm laughing a little bit to myself here because I'm like, SWAT guys are so special. They get their own physicals. Well, they get the physical kind of that you guys do because they do wear SCBAs. Oh, okay. Fair so, enough. Fair enough. So I'll, I'll, they, let, I'll let they, that slide. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, SWAT medics think they're very special. SWAT... SWAT LEOs are special, the elite elite of the elite. So yeah. Um, So we kind of have almost two separate practices within a practice. So we have a team that just does the fire department physicals. We do 27 different agencies in Arizona, and then we do Massachusetts as well. And then we have the primary care side, both here and in Massachusetts. So Oh, I didn't know you guys had a, an East Coast location we do. as well. Oh, it's cool. so close. You know, <laughs> you just pop in just from pop time in. to time. It's only a six hour flight and a three hour time difference. It's fine. <laughs> it's just fine. In fact, one of our nurse practitioners from Massachusetts is here this week being all trained up. So, nice. yeah. Well, so, okay. So, obviously, your core mission is to serve public safety. Yeah. And um, protecting first responders. Yeah. That is our mission. Yeah. And mm-hmm. well, so that's a, that's a very unique mission. And I know that there's a, there's a reason for that. There and is. I know it's a close to home. So tell me about what, what's the driving force behind what you guys are doing. So, um, the driving force is, is my amazing husband. Um, and really that's kind of the precipitating factor. I would say we, there were an, a series of events. So there were four cardiac events in about a year and a half back in 2009, of healthy firefighters and they died of heart attacks. And I thought, what the crap? And so I started looking at, you know, what, what, what was happening? You know, there was one, um, 44 year old who I, I was an ER nurse 
for a long time. And I was the EMS coordinator. And so I worked for Dignity, which was Catholic Healthcare West at the time, and worked with fire departments. And so my job was interfacing with fire every day. I did education. We taught Were at you the paramedic community. coordinator when you I met your was. husband? No. Oh, okay. I wasn't I was even say, a nurse. <laughs> I know. I wasn't. I wasn't a nurse and he wasn't a fireman. We were like just regular people. And then we got married. Okay, that's that's I should go into nursing and then he's like, Well maybe I'll go into fire and then then we became the perfect combo. But like in the beginning we were just like two regular people, which is totally different. But um so we taught EMT and so just kind of always in public safety and then friend died 44 at the firehouse. And I was like, hmm. And you know, as a wife, I just always thought if my husband dies at work, it's going to be in a fire or somebody's going to hit him on the freeway. Like he's going to be, you know, and an MBA and somebody's going to hit him. Like that was kind of, and I didn't let myself spend any time there, but yeah. I just always thought that those were the risks. Right. And then I started when Tink died, I was like, wow, I wonder what's happening. So I started looking at at information, which I had not done before. You know, it's very common that wives probably don't look at that stuff. And yeah. so then I found out that over 50% of the line of duty deaths in the fire service are cardiac. And I was like, cardiac? You know, we get these amazing physicals every year. Why are they dropping? How and are we missing that? And they're healthy. Right. You know, these are the healthy workforce. This isn't a bunch of old sick fat guys, you know? And I'm thinking, how is that happening? So I started looking into that process a little bit. And then subsequently found out about two other cardiac events, all under the age of 45. Wow. And then the fourth one happened, 49-year-old, perfectly healthy, ex-professional athlete. And I thought, what the heck? So I actually went to him and his fire chief was there. And I said, this is the fourth person. I don't know what's going on. He goes, you have to help me find out. And I was like, okay. I'm going to do it. So then I started looking into things and I, you know, met some people that were like-minded and, and we kind of set out on this venture. Um, and we decided that we were going to try and identify what we could do different. And so when we first started, we were literally just taking guys and saying, okay, your primary doesn't know anything about these extra tests. Let's just order them. Your physical will be completely separate, and we'll just kind of do it. We were doing it Saturdays and Sundays. I mean, it was just like completely side gig. And was part of that trying for you at that early phase, trying to kind of establish a root cause? Yeah. Okay. What are we missing? What are we not seeing? And then eventually, how are we going to fix it? But in the beginning, I'm like, what is the common theme? Like, right. what well, what is happening? My knee-jerk reaction is to say, well, the job is high stress, and you go from zero to 60 very rapidly, and that's the stress. But is it more – Are we? am I just being superficial by saying that? Well, that is a piece of the puzzle mm -hmm. for sure, and it's a big one. So the zero to 60, the being sound asleep and being abruptly – woken up and, and fight or flight kicking in and tons of cortisol dumping, like all of that is real and it is a piece, but diet and poor sleep and lack of exercise and mental stress and all of those are part of it. But in the beginning, I was just thinking it was cholesterol. I was like, oh, it's a cholesterol problem. Okay. They are not. What made you think that? Um, probably because most of the information that I read was that you know, sudden cardiac death was caused by a clot rupture that created this environment. Right. 
And so these guys were dropping dead of these cholesterols. And then the first, the thing that we started doing in the beginning was advanced lipids and looking at heaviness and stickiness and density of the cholesterol. And we were seeing some disparities. Well, now I find out that diet plays into that, sleep plays into that, exercise plays into that. So it still is a problem, but the originating and precipitating events are tied to stuff that we all knew and we still know, but we weren't talking about. And you have to keep in mind, this is in 2009. So 2020, we're at a much better place. But you know, I taught at the National Fire Department Safety Officers Conference on Thursday of last week. Oh, in here in Scottsdale? Yeah, the FDSOA. And I, you know, decent size audience. And I said, okay, guys, what are you spending your training dollars on? Tell me. Was it the crickets? Well, no, they were like, you know, fire ground training. I'm like, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they were like, contamination training. I go, great. When was the last time you had a class on cardiac disease? And they all just looked at me. I said, what's the leading cause of death in the fire service? It's still cardiac. I mean, cancer's right there, but right. it is still cardiac. And I said, and we're not doing, we're not doing training. We're not focusing our time and energies on, you know, we've gotten better at mental health, way better. And I mean, way better. And I'm so grateful for that. But, you know, cardiac is still killing the majority of our guys. Right. Do you think it's been marginalized a little bit because the rise of cancer Cancer's and the rise sexy. of PTSI, PTSI mm-hmm. and, and, and the mental health component? Mm-hmm. Yeah, There's grant money to fight those, mm-hmm. right? Okay. So we can write for grants on contamination mitigation and we can write grants on, you know, mental health resiliency programs. We can write grants for that. Right. So it's sexy. There's money there. Everybody wants to talk about it. Um, it hits the heartstrings really strong, especially mm-hmm. cancer because it's touched so many people, even personally, you know, people whose family members have passed away and not even affiliated with the fire service. And then you look at these 30 year olds and these 32 year olds, and it just really pulls on your heartstrings. They have little kids yeah. and, and so it gets a lot of attention, Yeah. but I was, it's very interesting. We were actually at the, at a national fire cancer summit and I was sitting with my friend, Sarah Janke, who does a ton of research in the fire service. And we were sitting together and we were looking at all of the things that you can do to decrease your risk for cancer. And it was hmm. eat healthy, get plenty of sleep, decrease stress work out. And I was like, if we could get that done, we could decrease the risk of cancer and cardiac at the exact same time. Cause it's the same precipitating factors. You know, we, we have so much we could work on and things that are all within the individual's control. Right. But people don't know. And that's, you know, when we first started HeartFit, I was so focused on cardiac, cardiac, cardiac. Then I realized education is the thing that is missing in healthcare. The average American spends how much time with their primary care doctor when they go in? Face to face. 10 minutes, maybe. Six. Six minutes? Oh my gosh. Six minutes I was on close. average. Yeah. So doctors hmm. and nurse practitioners, typically in a clinic setting, have six patients an hour. Wow. So, so there's you, no, there's not even, there's no slack to be able to offer any educational information. No, you, ha- you have 10 minutes. Where you have, you're supposed to go through their entire history, mm-hmm. go through their entire meds, and then figure out what their goals are, and then help them achieve them. 
Six and, minutes. Oh, and then you want to try and cha- change somebody's behavior so that oh, they're going right. to be complicit with the yes. instructions. Yeah. You're, you have to try and empower them mm-hmm. to change their mindset, change their habits. You know, I every time I teach, people are like, oh, it's the culture. It's the culture. Firefighter culture doesn't need to change. The culture in the fire service is one of the greatest assets we have. We have a brotherhood. We have an extensive knowledge base. We have a wonderful workforce. We have integrity at work. We have public safety servants that come in that culture. We just have to change habits. It's a habit. The way you eat is a habit. The way you work out is a habit. The way you go to sleep is a habit. The way you process information is a habit. It's not a culture that we need to change. It's the habits that people are applying to this amazing culture that we need to change. And people say, you know, this fire culture standing in our way. No, we just have to get to the habits. And the thing is, is during a primary care visit, typically if you have six minutes, you're not going to be able to, to empower somebody to change their habits. And that's the problem. And so education is where we decided we were going to spend most of our energies. And so when we created the primary care practice, we can created it completely differently. And so education is the focus on everything that we do. And when I teach, it's always about education. So what does that look like for the individual? So the individual, typically the appointment, their first initial appointments, about an hour and a half, which I know is a huge chunk of time. And I tell people all the time, you know, I know that the things we don't have are time and money, right? Like that, those are the two things that we struggle with the most. And sometimes you have more money and you never have enough time. And sometimes you have more time and you're broke as a convict, so you can't make it all work. Um, but it's an hour and a half. You get to spend about 30 minutes with a provider going through all the stuff you need to talk about. And it is, you know, sleep and diet and stress and workouts and what are you doing? And then you roll in here and you meet with somebody for nutrition. Um, and that's, that's again, one of the biggest key components in one of the most important pieces of that process is getting somebody to talk to you about what you need help with, with food. So what would, what is the most, uh, in general terms, where do you find people are struggling the most? Cause I mean, let me frame that. Cause I know yeah. like every firefighter, it, it all depends on where you're working, right? But people are getting all kinds of a variety of calls and they're up and down in the middle mm-hmm. of the night. Some are getting some sleep, some are not. And, uh, so that's a, an element that is not necessarily controllable. And then there's the nutrition piece, which again, behaviorally at the firehouse is added, you know, can you change that? Yes or no. I've seen, you know, some companies that will bring in their own food mm-hmm. and everyone does their own thing. Um, and then other companies that completely embrace an idea like, Hey, we're all going to go paleo and we're all eating or we're going to eat clean quote unquote. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and so there, are, you know, different layers of, of complexity here. I guess my question is, is where, when, when folks are finally committed, they come in, they see you, where are we seeing the, the greatest difficulty? I think probably the biggest issue that we see is fatigue. Mm. You know, guys, everybody's just tired. And then if you are tired, you make bad food choices, which then makes you more tired. And then when you're not sleeping well, your hormones are produced at night when you sleep. So then your hormones drop down. 
and then you're not working out because you don't have any drive because your hormones and your sleep is a mess and you're not eating well. So your machine isn't being fueled with good quality fuel. So then you're not working out. So, but the majority of it comes usually from a sense of just fatigue and it could be mental fatigue and physical fatigue. It could be just mental. It could be just physical, but a lot of times we see both. And then it's a cascading, yeah, you know, just we, a self-perpetuating we get, downward yeah, we get spiral, food, right? We get food better. They start to feel a little bit better. We, we address sleep. They start to feel much better Then they start working out. And then we start to get that foundation rebuilt. Okay. But you know, sleep is the foundation for almost everything. And when that sleep is really not stable, then your foundation is not solid and you're just teetering on falling off in one way or another. So, and it's, okay. So in general terms, cause I know this is probably, it might change or differentiate between individuals, but tell me how do we get sleep better? Sleep habits are really important. So your brain is, is pretty amazing. And it actually, you know, what I hear all the time is well, I lay in bed and my mind just races and I just can't fall asleep. There's so much I have to do, or I'm worried about so many things, or, you know, I handled that situation so badly that I just lay there and commiserate on it. And I just can't make myself fall asleep. If you have a pattern of things that you do before you go to sleep, it's, it's pretty impressive because your brain will start thinking about sleep. So, and I'm going to just give you an example. Yeah. So at nine o'clock, your goal is to be in bed at 10 at nine o'clock. You do the dishes, walk the dog, take a shower, brush your teeth, put your phone on the charger, lay down, go to sleep. Okay. So there's seven things that happen before you lay down. So on week three, the minute you walk the dog, your brain is like, oh, hey, in 35 or 40 minutes, I'm going to be ready for sleep. So I can actually start my shutdown process. And then by the time you brush your teeth, your brain's like, oh, you know, we're getting ready to lay down. We're heading and the, down, so now, the shutdown yeah. cycle. And so you, yeah. People that don't have any type of pattern will lay in bed for a while. If you have a pattern, and it could be three things, it can be 15 things, it could be, you know, you lay down and read your kids a story, you sit down, you watch an episode of The Office, you put your phone on the charger, you have a snack, you go to bed, like whatever that is for you, but that teaches your brain, hey, we're going to start getting ready to go to sleep. And then the same thing when you're on shift. Do the same type of thing. Take a shower, brush your teeth, put your phone on the charger, try to get some sort of a pattern established. And that prepares your brain for sleep and allows it to have less windows open. I tell people, oh, it's yeah. like a computer. If you have all your windows open, your brain is like, oh, she's looking for shoes over here. You know, um, they're planning a trip over here. I'm working on a Word document here. I got to send this email over here. There's too many things open. If you start closing those windows, then your brain's going to be prepared for sleep and you'll enter your REM sleep a little bit faster. I like that. It's a, that, that makes so much sense to me because they're, you know, the windows piece, because so many times the only, I don't get me personally, I don't throw myself on the table here, but the, uh, for me, there's never rarely an insomnia, right? Where I'm up all night thinking about something like, I don't get that, but I will toss and turn and I'm very aware of it. I wake up, I roll over, I'm uncomfortable and I'm miserable and I'm all night long at home. It's horrible. My wife's miserable <laughs> because of it and, uh, not good for us. The, um, but I'm, and so, so, but I, so I'm wondering 
if, you know, what other contributing factors? Because for me, I don't feel like my mind's turned off, but maybe it is. Maybe my brain is working. I just kind of in the subtext. I'm not really hyper aware of it, but it's going. And because of that, I'm flip-flopping all over the place. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of things that you read say that your brain still solves problems. Even when you're asleep, it is still problem solving. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you wake up and you're like, oh, I can't believe I didn't think of that. And you're like, oh, your brain works on it all night, right? It's kind of crazy. Um, A couple of other things, animals in the room, kids in the room. And I don't know if you have either one of those things, but you're, you know, first responders, usually very hyper alert, right? You hear things before other people even realize that there was a noise. It's a special talent. Six yeah, it's seven. a special talent. Um, <laughs> you guys are special. I'll give you that. Um, but, you know, if you hear an animal walking out in the living room on the tile floor, right. it's going to slightly pull you out. Mm. If your wife turns over, it might pull you out of sleep. But if you have multiple of those things going on, a kid walking in, somebody shutting a door, an animal walking around, your wife tossing and turning, like all those things have a potential to disrupt your sleep cycle. Um, there's a lot of information about what you eat before you go to sleep, how much liquid you drink, how many times you have to get up to pee. And then some of the new, the new information out there is the weighted blankets make a huge difference. So we've been doing experiments here in the office, um, just like, you know, on our own. We're not probably not going to publish it. There's not it, a nap time? No, no. Gosh, wouldn't that be lovely? Uh, but we've all bought weighted blankets to okay. just see. And it's amazing. Really? The difference. I've yes. heard, I've heard, I've, well, I've seen it on the internet somewhere and talked about it a little bit with my wife and, um, we've chatted about the, yeah. some of the effects of it. Yeah. What about the, um, I've, I've heard about blue light and things like that, like using your phone before you go to bed or in the hours preceding bed, yeah. watching television, et cetera. What are your thoughts on that? Oh, you know, there's some really good data out there about blue light. There's not a lot of great data about everything pertaining to sleep. You know, we have, we have some bro science out there that's telling you, Hey, you know, this is super important. And then we do have some data. Um, some of the blue light data is pretty impressive. You know, you can get those blue blocking old lady, uh, sunglasses, which are amazing, but they say that, that they help your brain Again, you're Who trying says? to decrease. Bro science says? No, or? actually, there's a couple of articles oh, okay. that are published. No, that's not. Bro science does say that, but bro science would be the way to blanket. And we don't have any published studies on that, but right. I will tell you that I do believe that it's a benefit. Nice. Because we've been using it. You know, we have people that have some anxiety, um, patients that have some anxiety, and we've said, hey, just, you know, 50 bucks, buy a weighted blanket and see if it makes a difference. Right. And it makes a pretty profound difference. Nice. And if you can start getting sleep, you know, well, you know and that's the thing when I t- sometimes when I go, Hey man, is this data or bro science? If it works, does it matter? Yeah. Right. So sometimes you want to take, take some steps, do an, an experiment with yourself and try some of these different things out. Cause I think, you know, my mind was like, well, I, I don't toss and turn because I'm wide awake, but I will wake, I will roll over and wake up. And my wife is sitting bolt upright in bed. She can't sleep. She's got insomnia and there, and I'll roll right over and fall right back to sleep. But, but I wake up and I feel like a train ran over me because the quality of sleep that I got was horrible. So mm-hmm. if the quality is bad, whether I was up all night or I tossed and turned all night, either way, I got to do something about it, yeah. right? I got to come up with a mechanism. I love the idea of kind of having a shutdown procedure. Um, I recently had a conversation with a friend about the idea of having a routine. And I think that that, that, that sends the signals to the body, which you're talking about, which is really important. So that sleep piece is really critical. It's something that I know is really 
a challenge for folks is diet. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of diet is behavioral, but I think there's a knowledge piece too. Like what do I eat? And I recently did a podcast with a, with a gal named Kristen Moreland, who is a macro coach. And to me, that piece is really, really simple, right? Talk about how much protein you should be eating versus how much carbs, what are the quality of the carbs? Is that something that that kind of model, something you prescribe as well? Yes. And we do it based to, you know, people are very focused on weight. It's a priority. You know, how, how much do I weigh? What, what is my weight? What's my body fat? Like that's a really important piece, but we come at it a little bit more from the medical side. Hey, your sugars are starting to get out of control. You don't have enough good cholesterol. The bad cholesterol you have is really sticky and really heavy. We got to do something different. And we know what elements of nutrition affect what elements of blood work. Like that's, that's science, right? right? So we know that if your triglycerides are high, and you're eating a lot of food with stabilizing fats because they're found on the shelf and they're not fresh fruit. Give me foods. an example of a stabilizing so fat. So a stabilizing fat would be bread. There's stabilizing fats in bread. Um, bread, when you make it homemade, lasts maybe five to seven days and then it gets green and grows mold. Bread now, you buy it in the grocery store, lives on the shelf four weeks, five weeks before it turns green. That's a stabilizing fat. So that's something that's put in by the production. Put in by the producer by of the product and the, the producer of the product yeah. to give it a longer shelf life. Right. So that you'll buy two loaves instead of one loaf. Right. And you'll keep them both and then you can eat it whenever because they don't go bad. Same thing with tortillas, um, macaroni and cheese, things in a box, things in a package. Okay, though they don't have they're not all natural products because if they were, they wouldn't live on the shelf for two years. So those stabilizing fats cause an increase in triglycerides in the body. Triglycerides are thick and they're heavy and they're hard to move and they increase your risk of a cardiovascular event. So taking those triglycerides out by removing some of those pieces in the diet, you're always going to have some because your body produces some. Mm. We just don't want extra. And so knowing what you're eating is really important, but it weight is a big piece. Health is a bigger piece. Right. Is weight, I guess, for the lay person or for just as a personal, something I can monitor on a daily basis. If I'm like looking at my body mass and my weight and that's something I can monitor. Right. Yes. And so, well, plus we're all a little bit vain, let's Mm -hmm. be honest. Right. Mm -hmm. And the, the world tells us we have to have a certain body composition. But the funny thing is at the end of the day, if you get that lean body mass, you get yourself down to a healthy composition chances are your insides are pretty healthy as well. So, so I guess there's a question in there, I suppose, which I think I've answered it myself, but the idea that if you get your body composition down to a, a, uh, sexy level, chances are you're doing something good on the inside. Oh, there's shelters. a lot of skinny fat people. Okay. So talk to me about that. Cause I think that's an interesting variable yeah. that we talk about heart disease, mm-hmm. right. Versus, you know, we tell, Hey, diet, sleep and whatever. I can control all that, but there's plenty of people who appear to be healthy and they are not healthy. Yeah. One of our highest calcium scores, which is a CAT scan of your coronaries, looking for calcified cholesterol buildup in your, in your heart. Um, one of our highest scores had a body fat of 6.8%. Mm. And he was an endurance athlete. Right. But endurance athletes are predominantly carbohydrate fed. And he just had way more cholesterol than his body could deal with. And so it was just laying in his arteries and he had no idea. He wasn't even 40. His calcium score was over 3000. 80 is a normal score. So he was a big overachiever. (laughs) Um, And so, yeah, that was, 
that was a sh- like that was one of the things that I was like, man, even people who think that they're really, really healthy can be less than healthy. And if you look at marathon runners, marathon runners are a perfect example. Right. They have a very high risk of heart disease. Right. And the reason is, is because they're, they're stressed. They're under constant stress, right? Metabolically. Systemic. Yeah. Yeah. Systemic, right? Mm -hmm. Their muscles are under stress. Their vessels are under stress. They're typically not hydrating as well as they should be. So they're a little Mm -hmm. dry and then they're very sugar-based feeding. Very carbohydrate, lots of sugars. Sugars are really hard on the vessels. Mm-hmm. In fact, when, when, um, and I don't know if you remember this, but as a medic, if you injected glu- glucose or dextrose mm-hmm. and the IV blows, the tissue gets very necrotic. Yes. Because sugar is caustic on the tissues. So when you eat too much sugar, it's pissing off the vessels, period. Okay. So that high amount of sugar creates an inflammatory response that happens in the vessels. And in the arteries, when they get inflamed, they get very thick and swollen, and then they crack. And if they crack, cholesterol comes in, settles into those cracks. It's a patch kit. Yep. And then you start having atherosclerosis or heart disease. And so we see a very high rate of heart disease in endurance type athletes. So... Anybody that's doing that type of thing has an increased risk. Doesn't mean that they all have it. Doesn't mean that every fit, skinny person has heart disease. That's not what I'm saying. But there are people that are walking around that look marvelous with their shirt off that come in here and we're like, "Mm, you have some medical issues. Right. You know? And and people say, well, you said that he was pre-diabetic and he was pre-diabetic and he was pre-diabetic. You are. You know, most Americans in the United States are pre-diabetic over the age of 40. That's just the numbers. What, like, so if I'm not, if I don't have an opportunity to come see you and I'm, how do I identify that I'm pre-diabetic? Your f- providers need to do, well, that's a tough one. Um, you have to find a good doctor that is focused on wellness. And that's one of the biggest problems. As a medical office, we get paid a lot more money to have a group of sick people mm-hmm. than we do to have a group of healthy people. Right. So I don't have any motivation as a doctor, which I'm not, but if I was and as a practice owner, my motivation is give me a bunch of sick people because I get paid way more to put them on medicine and refill their medicine and make them come in for blood work constantly. That's that's how I'm going to make my money. Right. Whereas if you're pre-diabetic, And I say, hey, dude, if you do these 15 things, we're going to keep diabetes away. Now I'm legitimately decreasing the need to see you. So it's a horrible business model. (laughs) But finding a doctor that's very wellness focused is hard because there's not as much money in it. There's money in illness. The way that the insurance pays out. You know, for you to have heart disease and diabetes and high blood pressure and need a heart cath, I can make make way more money. And we find that too when we have guys that need to go see somebody. So, you know, somebody comes in and maybe their their prostate levels are abnormal. I can send you to a urologist. The urologist can take you to biopsy and make $4,800. Or he could monitor you through blood samples for a year and make $200. So it's really hard to find doctors that are willing to do the right thing because there's not money in that. You know what I mean? There's And yeah. there's a little money, but there's not 
there's not big money. So finding a provider is basically the key. Finding somebody who's very vested in wellness. And, and I tell people all the time when I teach, we don't purchase health and health care. We find health care by, Hey, Blue Cross, this is my, my zip code. Well, it's the closest doctor. And then we call three offices and whoever can get us in first, we'll go to, we don't call them and say, Hey, how long is the new patient appointment? Oh, you have 15 minutes. Yeah, that's not going to work. Hmm. Do you think that's a, I mean, we talked about education throughout this. Is that a, a, how I call it a customer? Is that a customer problem? Like we don't know what we're entitled yeah. to yeah, it's or, what we should ex- or what we should expect yeah. Yeah. from healthcare? So, so um, every public insurance or, or Blue Cross, Aetna, Cigna, all of those insurances give you one wellness exam a year that you don't even have to pay your copay. You don't need, it's free. You go in, they do certain things. They don't do everything, but they do do certain things every year and it's free, free. No copay, doesn't go against your deductible. Even if you have an 80-20 plan, even if you have a $1,500 deductible, it's free every year. Hmm. We don't take advantage of that. And companies like Blue Cross Blue Shield are making billions of dollars every year because we are not using our healthcare. We're just giving it back to them. And they, right. you know, they charge your we, city. We treat it so, as insurance, yeah. right? Which it is, right? Yeah. But at the same time, we don't it's, actually capitalize on the benefit that exists. On the it's prevention. Interesting. And yeah. there is prevention benefits there. Yeah. You know, some of them will even pay for you to get sunglasses. You know, you can go to the dermatologist on some insurances, which is so important in the fire service to go to a real dermatologist and have like a m- monkey exam. I call it a monkey exam. Like a mom and monkey is like looking through your armpit hairs, uh-huh. separating your butt cheeks, like the whole, looking between your fingers, between your toes, the whole thing. Like you should get that done every year because that's important, especially in the fire service. Dermal exposure is so big and we're just not doing it. So there is a knowledge deficit for sure because you know, Blue Cross will take all your money. They'll just keep it. Sure. You know, the city says, hey, we're going to buy insurance for $2 million. And if you don't use all that $2 million, you can keep 15% of whatever's left. So Blue Cross doesn't want to use it all because they want to keep it. And so they don't send you little notices that say, hey, by the way, you get a free medical exam, you know, for your wellness every single year. Why don't you go take advantage of it? Because then they get to keep more money. So... Yeah. So there's a there's a, definitely a an issue with our healthcare system. Yes, on, on so many levels, right? So we, many levels. We see it when we're responding in the streets, <laughs> oh, right? Yeah. That's one thing. But then to actually recognize that there's a problem in our own healthcare system when it comes to health insurance and those who are covered, yep. um, being able to utilize it appropriately. So what? So so let's say somebody has a provider. Uh, I think we went on a tangent. We didn't ask yeah, the question. Sorry. So what is the test that somebody should request? Um, an A one C. Hemoglobin okay. A1C. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, they should be aware of what their fasting sugars are and see when those start to change. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of times people have no idea. And A1Cs are not something that everybody gets because most often they are a test for diabetics once they've been diagnosed. But your body can tell, your body sends warning signals typically for eight to 10 years before you're diagnosed with diabetes. We just have to know to look for them. Right. So if somebody gets their A1C pulled and they're looking for uh, a number that's kind of giving them an indication of whether or not, when you talk about pre-diabetic, what is kind of getting in line for diabetes, right? Like they're they're queued up for it because yeah. they're not eating very well or... Insulin's not working the way it should. 
right? Because right. they're taxing their their pancreas, overloading. Yeah. yeah, and pancreas is pissed and says I'm not doing what I'm. Right. I I just can't keep up with the workload. So right, what are those numbers? Just for- so depends on who you ask. The American oh. Diabetic Association says that they're not concerned unless you're six point five or higher. We don't okay. even want you at 5.5. 5.5 to 5.7 is that range that tells us you're you're taking the wrong exit. Like okay. if you go that direction. What's a, what's a normal, like super healthy person? Who... 5.1. Okay. Five. We see it all the time. 5.4, a lot of people live at, mm-hmm. but they could fall either direction. You know right. what I mean? So mm-hmm. 5.4 is kind of like right right where you're starting to... You know, if you're 50 and you're at 5.4 and you eat really healthy, you're probably going to be okay. But if you're 50 and you're at 5.4 and you're about to retire and you just want to eat whatever you want to eat, chances are you're going to go into that pre-diabetic realm. And then once you're there, it's a super slippery slope to be full-fledged diabetic. And it's just, you know, your, your insulin is not sufficient. You are insulin impaired. So, right. So take me through just so, so somebody says like, man, I love what Kepper's saying. I want to get in there and get evaluated. What, what does that look like? What are they kind of, what's the process and what's the, what are we looking at tip to tail when they come in and see so, you guys? So typically you go to the website, heartfitforduty.org. Mm-hmm. There's a get tested button and you fill out all your information. We take most insurances, but there are some plans with the, within those insurances that we're not on. So Cigna has what they call a narrow network. Blue Cross has some narrow networks and Aetna has some narrow networks. And that means that they only allow, you know, few providers in typically they're providers whose practices they own. So they want you to stay in their narrow network system because then they don't have to pay as much. So you put in your information for insurance, we'll verify that it's ideally one of the pre- programs or plans that we're on, and then we'll call you and get you scheduled. And then you come in, and depending on copays, coinsurance, um, maybe your deductible, then you we bill it just like any other primary care office. And then you see a provider, get blood drawn, meet with the nutritionist, right. and then. So what are the so. Apart from the A1C, like what is what's the blood panel look oh, like? Oh, we what's... do all kinds of things, and it's different based on what's going on with you. So, oh, okay, yeah, there's there's a basic, you know, we look at complete blood counts and CMPs and and typical traditional, and then if you have a known problem with something, we'll take a look at that. Right. So, so you mentioned earlier, like calcium score. Like, at what point do you say, hey, I got to look at your calcium? It depends. Okay. What's it, the driving factor? Um, typically, age. And risk. So years of experience. So if you have somebody, you know, because you could have a 35-year-old that got hired when he was 20. Right. And so he's got 15 years of experience. You could have, right. you know, a 42-year-old that was in the military. He's got military plus he's been on the job for 12 years. He's and, a wreck. And so now you've got like all these comorbidities. Um, people can request a calcium score. Mm-hmm. Say, hey, I just want one. I want to know where I'm at. We're like, okay. Yeah, for sure. Is there a... Is there something that you would recommend for people like, hey, you, these are the standard baselines that you need to establish for yourself? No, because everybody's really different. Okay. Yeah. It's, all right. Yeah. Fair enough. Be elusive. I get it. Well, no, but I, I mean. <laughs> no, I'm just it, teasing because I just, I, I feel like, okay, this is a, this is a very firefighter thing. I think, tell me where what I should be. to do. Mm-hmm. I need to know exactly, the, give me the, the roadmap 
and tell me what to do. And I and, and we and so will do that. It's hard when you get all squirrely and you're I like, know. it depends. And we do this a lot when we talk about tactics. Hey, I got a house on fire, and um, well, what am I supposed to do? I don't know. It depends. What exactly is happening with the house? Well, I feel like that's exactly what you're telling me right now. Rain, your body is a wreck, and there's all these things happening, and it depends on the variables that are present when we have this conversation about you, you know, your specific needs. Yeah. And then we'll go down the pathway of what to do next. And as frustrating as that conversation is, uh-huh. there's things that are going to be a priority over other things. Right. But we will give you a roadmap. When you leave, you actually have stuff written down that says, this is what you've got to do. You need to take these supplements. You need to come back in and have this done. You need to go here. Like we we clearly identify what you're what your priorities are. And a lot of it's based on your goals. You know, somebody comes in and says, man, I just want to feel better. Okay. Let's work on that. If somebody comes in and says, well, I want to feel better and I want to run a half marathon. That's a different story. I want to feel better. We can't get pregnant. I want to feel better. And we need to try and have a baby. That's a different scenario. Still, I want to lose weight. I want to gain muscle. I want to gain weight. I want to lose fat. Like, I don't want to kill my wife. Like I'm losing my mind. My kids drive me crazy. You know, I hate my shift. I hate who I work with. I love my shift. We don't eat good. Like we hear so many different scenarios. Yeah. You know, people come in and say, just get me through retirement. Like number one, that's very short-sighted because retirement is not where the end should be. Right. Right. Like Luke just hit his 20. I can't wait till retirement or till retirement. Cause then I think it's going to get fun. Like right now we're not having a lot of fun. <laughs> we're just trying to keep our, you know, we're, we're treading water. So when we retire is when the fun stuff starts, do you, what do you want your retirement to look like? Yeah. Do you want to go hiking and kayaking and paddle boarding in retirement? Cause that's what I want to do. Yeah. So my retirement and what I need to do in the next 10 years might be different than somebody who's like, meh, I don't care. I don't want to do it. I don't want to eat good after I retire. I want to do whatever I want. I want to travel. I want to eat whatever I want. So how do I do that? Well, here's a pocket full of meds. Have at it. But you know, everybody's goals are different. Right. And we have to figure out what's the most important for you and where do we start? Because to change habits, it has to be a priority. Mm. If it's not a priority, you don't have a drive to change. Right. So we have to know what your commitment level is to change. Right. And it's different for everybody. Mm-hmm. That that priority piece is really is really interesting because the establishing your own personal priority, establishing uh, you if you really want to make a change in your life, you have to own where you are right now and own the decisions you've made that have led you to where you are and make a decision about what you really really want. And you know, I've had some people tell me, "Hey, listen, man, I just want to be able to. I I want I love delicious." sugary foods and I want to be able to eat delicious sugary foods and I don't care about anything else. I'm like, well, okay, I get it. Like if that's what you want to do, but own it because there's consequences that come mm-hmm. with it. And you, know, you can't talk out of both sides of your face and say, well, I want to be shredded and healthy and you know, whatever, but I also want to eat this cake. There's boundaries that you have to draw. Yeah. <laughs> you have to figure it out. That's, that's really a serious challenge. And it's, I think the compounding factor is, this it's a slow slide. So when I was 20, I could do whatever I wanted. I could stay up all night long. I mean, this is actually what I did. I stayed up all night long and then I worked all day and then I'd go hang out again at night and I just ate whatever I could get my hands on. Drank whatever. Yeah. I just ate like a friggin' machine and just whatever. And 
it's interesting because as I crept into my 30s and crept into my 40s, my body completely changed on me and it rebelled. My body started pushing back and it couldn't do the same things. And, you know, and then the fire service, the sleep deprivation, plus the, you know, the strange nutritional paradigm that existed when I came off shift and all of a sudden I'm craving, you know, sugars and garbage because I'm so tired and exhausted. Um, it, it really creeps up on you. And then suddenly you're, you know, in the twilight of your career and you're like, holy crap, how did I arrive here? And so I guess the, the challenge is awareness, personal awareness, and then, and then recognize, commitment. yeah. And then saying, Hey, I, I need to make a, I need to do something and I need to act on it. And then who's going to help you in that journey, right? Because if your wife or your spouse or your kids won't eat healthy. And so every day you come home and you're tired, you were up all night, you know, you had a fire, you're tired, you're not making good choices. You walk in and there's all your favorite things in the world because your wife loves you and she's buying them for you because she knows that you love them. And you're like, if they're not there, I'm not going to eat them. I'm not going to go to the store and buy them. But if they're there in the house, I'm going to eat them. And people tell me all the time, well, my kids won't eat anything else. Unless they can drive their happy little asses to the store, they're going to eat whatever you have. And that's the reality of it. Right. You know, my kids get a box of cereal for Christmas every year. And they each get a box and it is their happiest day. That was the thing. They could not wait to see what cereal they got this year. That's hilarious. And they don't have cereal the whole rest of the year. And that's okay. It, they're not, they're not small people. They're both bigger than, they're bigger than both my husband and I, both of them. <laughs> and they're eating really well. But my husband has a sweet tooth. And if I don't have chocolate, guess what he's not going to have? Chocolate. If there's not crap there, he's not going to eat crap. Right. He'll get a scoop of almond butter and eat that. And is it the same? No. But in the long run, are we going to do more fun things? I hope so. Right? Right. But it, you know, finding out what you need from your environment is really important. And I think that that's a very big missing piece. You know, I always talk about when I, when I teach, I say all the time, do you do a family academy? Well, we do a burn day. Right. So the end of the academy, the families all come and we do this amazing oh, yeah, family, day, family yeah. burn day and everybody gets to see the trucks and all the cool stuff. Mm -hmm. Did we talk to them about sleep habits? Did we talk to them about cardiovascular risk? Did we talk to them about the mental health component that we're going to see? Cause we're not helping them prepare for success. You know, that family unit can either be the thing that holds them up and supports them throughout their career, or it can be one of the pieces that helps make them fall. And we have to figure out how to do it all. There's a lot of opportunity. And, you know, when you, when you go to the doctor, take your spouse with you. Whoever's, whoever's going to be there to help you through this process, take them with you. Another set of ears is an amazing thing. Because one thing is when we say something somebody doesn't like, they stop listening. Mm. And firemen are so good at that. Salute. Yep. I didn't hear anything else. Well, what do you mean? We were in there for 30 minutes and we said that your calcium score was 600, like the sixth thing. And you stopped listening because all you could think of was you're going to die. And, you know, we talked about a lot of stuff after that and they just stopped and you can see it happen. It's almost like, you know, a garage door just drops and they're like done. Interesting. And if nobody else is there, then they don't absorb yeah. anything. Well, isn't that interesting though? Like we have to, uh, we have to have uh, people who are with us who can help us be accountable and who are going to help us, um, you know, partner, partner with us mm -hmm. in this, you know, this healthy lifestyle thing. Because if you're at home and your partner is doing a whole separate program, uh, it's very challenging. It is very challenging. You know, and finding ways to support one another in that is, 
is critical, mm-hmm. especially when your your objective is to, you know, be healthy and live long and whatever. Your spouse might not want that. <laughs> hey, there's big money in uh, in other options, yeah. But you know, they really they really don't know the big picture of how they're not being like right. they would never do it on purpose. Right. I mean, most of them. So you brought up a them, really good but... point, which is that I think that the the job itself has certain uh, stresses and that you know physiological stresses and folks at home who aren't part of that aren't aware of it. It's, they don't know what you do at work. Mm-hmm. You go to work and sometimes you're available for a phone call and sometimes you're not. And they don't know what that means. And, you know, my wife would always tell me, Hey, like, what do you have? Like when you, when you're on your way home, tell me how your night was. So I know what to expect. You know, what kind of monsters coming through the door? Mm-hmm. Well, is the one who didn't get any sleep or is it the monster who slept all night and is, you know, happy and is going to go ride his bike or to go goof off because suddenly you have all this energy. Where'd that come from? Yeah. So the, you know, being honest with what your day was like and helping them understand what the course of a shift looks like and the impact that it has is really important for a healthy marriage, first yes. of all, but, but also is important to supporting one another in all these good, healthy habits that we need to form. You know, if you're, if your spouse is not on board, it's going to make it a real challenge. And it's funny because all the time I hear guys will say, well, you know, the guys in my shift, the guys in my squad, they don't eat good. You know, I, we, they cook horrible. I'm like, okay, well, what about your wife? Cause you're only at work 10 days a month. What's happening the other 20 days of the month? Because we put all the blame on our work and it's amazing to me. You guys will constantly say sleep at work, food at work. Don't no time to work out, you know, stress at work. I'm like, well, you're here more than you're here. So tell me about the 20 days at home. What do you guys eat when you're at home? How many days a week do you eat out? How many beers do you have when you're off? You know, how many days does, does your family allow for you to go work out? Well, I'm taking care of the kids, daddy daycare the whole time. You know, my wife and I are working opposites. Okay. Well, we got it. We got to work on that too. And not that that can't work. We can make it work, but we got to figure out how to help you be successful with that being your environment. So it's really easy to post all the blame on the guys at work. Well, you know, my captain doesn't like to eat healthy and he won't eat any green vegetables. I hear it every week. He doesn't eat anything. He only wants to eat pasta and rice. Okay. Happy medium over there. But what about the other 20 days? Right. Tell me what the other 20 days look like. Right. Yeah, those are critically important, right? You got to yeah. take you got to take accountability for the whole picture. And when you think about what matters the most, where do we carry most of our stress and frustration from our home environment? The things you guys say to each other, very seldom does it carry over into long-term issues. Like, right? You have a guy that you don't get along with, meh, kind of a problem, but you let it go pretty quick. You have a fight with your wife, you're pissed the whole day you're on shift. Hmm. And you typically will bring it home the next day. Right. You have a kid that's struggling at school. You talk about it the whole time you're at work. You think about it the whole time you're at work. You deal with it when you come home. This is the stuff, you know, the home stuff is the stuff you can't turn off. It's the stuff that means the most. It hits the hardest. You see horrible things at work and they do impact you. And I'm not trying to, to you know, make that less significant. But the people you care most about in the world are the one whose thoughts, behaviors, and feelings impact you the most. And that's your home environment. So it's really easy to focus on all the issues with the job. But that home puzzle is a bigger piece 
in my opinion, in my experience, you know, what I've seen for the last eight to 10 years. Right. I wonder, the- I wonder if we just, if we discount it because we hear so much about how the, the work impacts us. And so we dismiss the fact that home life is a big part of our health as well. Yeah. We have published data on this. Right. We have published data that, that firefighting and sleep deprivation go together. And we have published data that mental health and firefighting and sleep deprivation go together. We have published studies that show us that. Nobody's willing to do <laughs> research to tell you that your, your marriage is unhealthy for you. <laughs> Hey, I'm going to write a grant to see how screwed up my home life is. Nobody's going to fund that, right? right? But we know that it's there. But, you know, you put the two together and that's what people don't have. General population, stress at home, not a ton of work-related environmental stressors. Right. Right? Landscapers have heat. Farmers have heat. Now we know that they have a ton of, you know, exposure through contaminants and and bad Mm. PFOAs and all that stuff, right, from... But for the most part, office workers, physicians, dentists, accountants, they don't have heat. They don't have toxins. They don't have sleep deprivation at work. So they don't have that combined. You guys have combined. You have all the home stress that everybody else in the world has. And then you have all this stress at work and you put them together and it creates kind of a perfect storm. Yeah. So, so in, in summary, in summary, I got to eat good. You got to eat I gotta good. I got to eat clean, right? Which clean is a, is an interesting. Perception. Yeah. Is an clean interesting is perception. Thing. So uh, the way I hear that in my mind is whole foods. Yeah. Right. I got to go, I got to go find me some lean meats, fruits and vegetables, nuts and berries, and get rid of the processed foods. Yeah. I got to do healthy sleep habits. Yes. Right. Try to get myself in a routine that helps me sleep well. We can try out a weighted blanket, mm-hmm. do some, uh, do it. Some personal research on yeah. that and, uh, do a home study. Uh, and then the exercise and fitness piece, right? Getting, yeah. getting something in every day. I don't think we touched on it too much, but like getting in, you know, some low grade cardio, get in some movement every day, no matter what, right? Best, best results are going to come from high, in, high, um, impact interval training. So hit training. So the high intensity, that type is what's going to show us the biggest returns if you do that one to two days a week, but moving is the goal movement of some sort, yoga, cycling, cardio, weights, uh basketball, volleyball, tennis. You got to keep moving. Just move. Right. Yeah. And then the fourth leg of the stool, well, sorry, the stool, the fourth leg of the chair is is getting in, getting some baselines done, figuring out where you're at, your metrics are at, coming in and coming to Heart Fit for Duty if you can. And if you can't, get with your healthcare provider and and get some baseline testing done and and figure out where you're at and then create a plan, right? Yep. And then incorporate your support system. Make sure that the family piece is addressed. Yeah. Well, I really, Kepra, thank you so much for... Uh, taking the time to sit down with me, but more importantly than that is for championing, championing, I can't even say the word, for advocating <laughs> for our firefighters and public safety to take care of themselves and to provide a mechanism for wellness versus healthcare on the backside of illness and injury. Really, really appreciate that, uh, that you do that, that you're willing to do that. I think it's so uh, it's such an important part of, you know, we talk about the brotherhood and the sisterhood 
and you know these these impacts that are affecting all of us in public safety and you know hey if there's something that we can actually do about it then it's wonderful that you're helping people do something about it thank you thanks for the opportunity absolutely any any final thoughts no go to the doctor um find a good doctor and take care of yourself perfect nobody's going nobody else is going to that's the bad news Thanks. Thanks for ending on bad news. <laughs> well, you're very welcome. And, yeah. Where can where can uh, where can folks find you? How are they gonna they're gonna want to reach out to you? And how are they gonna find you? So best mechanism is email, and my email is k e p r a at and it's heartfitfordutyorg all spelled out. Which had I thought of it at the time, I would have shortened it, but I didn't. So yeah, it's a very long email. But I'm much better by email. I am. I travel a ton and teach all over and sit on some national committees and attend a ton of meetings. So email is the best way to get in touch with me. We do not hold information for ransom. So if people have questions and they need help finding a good provider or anything like that, just send me an email. Happy to help. Awesome. Do you guys have any social media stuff that puts out information? Yeah, we do. We we are f- fairly busy on Facebook um, and Twitter is not what we're good at. But, and then our website, we have recipes on the website, workouts on the website cool. and those are free. So you can just go under patient resources and those are on there. Nice. And so there's a lot of information there as well. Anything so. on Instagram? Um, not so much on Instagram. Yeah. I got to uh. work on that. I got to <laughs> find a public safety person. I mean, a um, Social media person. Social media person. Right now it's me and I super suck at that because I'm real busy. So, but I try to post on Facebook just because it's easiest. You so, got to figure out how to, how to, to link multi-post. Them. Yeah, so so they were linked and then something happened and now they're not and I have to relink them. So that's media. my fault, but I'll get on it. <laughs> I'll try <laughs> real right. hard. Hey, Kepra, thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks to Kepra for spending time and sharing with us some of her knowledge and information about how we can optimize our lives to one step closer to uh, being more healthy and effective with the things that we do. If you enjoy this podcast, go on iTunes, leave a review, leave a rating, gives us some feedback and helps us understand how we can do better. Take some of the lessons you learned today. Take a step toward improving what you're doing in your life one little thing at a time makes a huge difference got to be focused on how we get the most out of what we're doing in our lives and optimize and improve the outcome for ourselves only you can make that difference you can't you can't expect anyone else to do it for you so go on out there and get some